0: There are three pillars of product-led growth that I think are fundamental. The first is empathy. The second is generosity. And the third is instrumentation.
1: This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing.
2: If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman,
1: and I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Welcome to Reveal.
2: Karina, I can't wait to share this conversation with our listeners. On the episode, we've got Dave Boyce joining us. Dave is the product-led growth practice lead at Winning by Design and is a self-proclaimed PLG advocate. We're going to dive way into what that means in this episode, right?
1: Yes. And I'm so excited because PLG has been thought of as like freemium and he definitely dispels that entirely. He talks about the buyer's journey and how really this motion, not only does it serve the uh, customer because it's much more buyer centric and how they would like to buy. That's how they're telling us they want to buy. Danny, do you remember what Dave's word was to describe sales in a PLG motion? What was that word? You loved it.
2: The idea that it can be a concierge service, I thought, was brilliant.
1: Couldn't agree more. There's a ton of great nuggets in this episode. We talk about what his three pillars of product-led growth are, and I highly encourage you guys to stick away to the very end of the episode, because that is where he gets to our final question that we ask all our listeners, and it is my favorite answer to date.
2: No spoiler alert. You got to
0: stay for the entirety.
1: Let's get into it. Dave, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be fun.
1: Yes, I know, Danny, I am thrilled to have you here. I have been a PLG nerd for quite some time. And I want to kick us off here by having you dispel for our audience. Would you say that PLG equals freemium? <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about PLG. It's freemium. It's for little company. It's for when you're first getting started. It is, it's a marketing, you know, technique. It's a free trial. Like those things all are associated with PLG, but PLG is way bigger than that. It's a mindset. It's a way of doing business. It's a way of organizing your company to deliver impact for customers.
1: I I love that. And uh, I'm glad we just got that right out the gate. Because I think it's such a common misconception that uh, so many organizations are still s- struggling with. What is your hot take on that for people that are, are are sensitive to this perspective of, you know, keeping their quotas tight and compact and safe?
0: I mean, I grew up selling uh, in sales-led growth companies. Um, so six and seven figure deals. Um, you know, I'm not going to roll out of bed for less than, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've heard it all, done it all sold roadmap sold futures all of that is a way to hit a quota and i think quotas serve a great purpose like you give a sales rep a quota and she will try to hit the quota that is her job like here's a quota and now she's going to bring all of her best self all of her creativity all of her energy all of her passion to try to hit that quota the issue comes in when that energy and passion and creativity starts coloring outside the lines. And that is not her fault. That's management's fault. And sometimes management does it eyes wide open. Yes, I will let you sell a ramp. Yes, I will let you sell a future feature. Yes, I will let you sell uh, an opt-out. And we start getting this, these, this hair on our deals, like these future promises attached to our deals. And those things are very hard to stack. You know, because this one's shaped like this and this other one's shaped like this and this other one's shaped like this and I'm trying to build a stack of revenue and that structure becomes unstable and there's a lot of futures built into it. You know, I sell X number of licenses that are going to take 18 months for my prospect to consume. Yeah, but I gave them a great discount. So it made sense for them to buy ahead. Yeah, but I'm going to, it's going to take the company 18 months to work their way through that. PLG is just totally different. PLG is different. It's about a customer buying exactly what they need, when they need, and then using that and then coming to buy some more and then using that and seeing impact from that and then coming to buy some more and then getting impact from that. And so we have a built-in kind of two things. One is they're never talked into anything because they're actually opting in. Many times they're, I mean, By definition, they're experiencing the product before they've had to make a financial commitment. So they're actually not wading into anything that they haven't experienced already. And the second is they're going to commit when they're ready for how much they're ready. So the land is going to be small and the expansion is going to be, there's going to be a ton of expansion potential. The mechanics are just different. A quota-driven business and a PLG-driven business are different. Now we can merge those and I think we'll probably talk about that. We can merge those and it's not an all or nothing, but there is a mindset shift. Talking about the mindset shift, you're warping my brain as you're talking about
2: every understanding of sales that I've known over the years, Dave, coming out of sales-led organizations with quotas and the patience or lack thereof that salespeople feel to attack their quota. It's not that they're coin-operated, but they're formulaic, right? They've got a number, and the more they achieve, the more they're incented to do better and better. And now we're mutating the psychology of sales As you described, you're only buying what you need. You're not overbuying. So in a lot of ways, you're disincentivizing those larger wall-to-wall deals if that's not right for the customer. So talk to us a little bit about how you engender the trust in sellers to lean into PLG when for however long
0: we can remember, they've always been doing the antithesis of that. Let's assume that we've spent the time to build that customer journey into our sales-led growth company. Uh, I was just speaking with someone yesterday who fired up digital sales within their company. They already had a digital purchase option enabled. So a customer could buy digitally, but they were all run on sales Okay, cool. Now I have to get them enough of a head of steam with that kind of self-service motion that when a salesperson engages with a prospect, that prospect is already a customer what this guy said is my reps now know that the very best leads are the ones who came through a self-service mode because they've already experienced the product. They've already become successful with the product. I've seen patterns within the product because they monitor usage patterns that indicate that this customer is succeeding with the product. And it might be multiple end users succeeding with the same product within the target prospect. So now if I'm a salesperson, would I rather cold call someone would I rather take a marketing lead off the web or would I rather talk to the person who's succeeding with my product already and 17 of her peers are also succeeding with my product already? Of course, I would rather have that, but that requires a head of steam. Like I need, I need a lot of those for me to start saying, you know what, I can actually feed myself on product qualified leads or product qualified accounts versus cold calling. And as soon as you've worked for a company that's doing that, you'll never go back.
1: I'm with you 100%, Dave. It's less about changing the mindset of the buyer. It's more about changing the mindset of the seller. And we had something- Oh, you
0: said something there, Karina.
1: (laughs) What did I say?
0: No, that's good. (laughs) That's good. You don't have to change (laughs) the mindset of the buyer. The buyer already knows what they need.
1: And they're telling us that, and we're just flat out ignoring it. We had somebody on recently, Frank Pinder, who told us that he came across the McKinsey Report. Two-thirds of buyers are saying they want a product-led growth selling motion. They want this. They prefer this. This is how they want to buy. So we're blatantly just choosing to ignore this feedback. Um, and as as a marketer, it crushes me. Um yeah. that we're just ignoring this minefield of data. So yeah, I feel like Dave, your your role is like it's not getting in the mindset of the buyer. You already know you have to get the mindset shift of the person's selling.
0: Yeah. So yes. And <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. to, even to get that flywheel going, we do have to get in the mindset of the buyer, but it's not going to, we're not going to find a lot of surprises. If we like, all we have to do is get in touch with our own humanity and just ask ourselves, you know, what would you do? You know, you've got a job to accomplish. You want to make progress on this job. It's annoying. It's hard. You're suffering. You're, you're trying to make progress you go Google some options. Option A says sign up for a demo. Option B says give us your number and I'll have a salesperson call you. Option C says start now. You're gonna start now. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, you know, then you're out. But if it does work, you might go a little further and then you might go a little further. And then pretty soon you've forgotten about option A and B because you're already succeeding with option C. That's just how we work. And so we need to build products that meet the customer where she is. That's cool. And then we need, as sales teams, we need to understand that that's what's happening, that we're buying concierges. Like, let's say she um, she succeeds for a while. She gets a couple of her colleagues to use it. They're, it's a collaborative product. And then I get, the, I get the PQA that fires off and says, hey, these guys are ready um, for a conversation with you, salesperson. I can't yeah. show up as a salesperson. I got to show up as a buying concierge. I got to say, hey, love what you're doing. How can I help? Is there anything that, is anything that you wish this had? Is there anything I can show you? I, I noticed you haven't accessed this section of features. Is that something that might be interesting to you? How else can I help? Can I roll this up? Are you struggling to get an enterprise adoption? Like, how can I help? And if we show up in that mindset, it's just human to human. I mean, I think COVID really helped us with this. We just understood everyone has a living room and a cat and, uh, and we're all just trying to do our best. So we just connect as humans and try to help them get their job done. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I think we're definitely adding too many unnecessary hurdles by form fill after form fill and uh, <laughs> process after process when, yeah, we can just let people access it and choose their own adventure and illuminate to us what we can do to then make this process even easier for them to explore the product further. Knowing that this is still like a cultural shift for SaaS in particular, what are some things that non-PLG-led companies can start to adopt on their own to get more towards uh, a full PLG motion, if you will?
0: Two vectors on that. There's probably more than two vectors, but if I'm in control of product and marketing, then I can start to put together a self service motion, you know with a landing page that leads to a start now that either is a free trial or a freemium or something, and just allows me to kind of build that on ramp to the product with no friction to your point. You know we're going to eliminate as much friction as possible and shorten my time to first impact to as short as possible. But I have to control product and marketing in order to do that. And also, it's going to take me a little while. Like I got to figure out what words my prospective customer uses to describe her problem and therefore what she might be asking on forums or typing into Google. And then I've got to meet her where she is. And then I got to give her a very simple answer to, to the way that she formulates that problem. So that's if I control product and marketing. What if I don't? It's another question, right? Like what if I control sales and I don't have a self-service journey? There are three pillars of product-led growth that I think are fundamental. The first is empathy, the second is generosity, and the third is instrumentation. So if I'm going down that first journey, I gotta develop empathy for the customer, what problem she's trying to solve. I've gotta meet her where she is with very easy to use functionality. I need to be generous. I need to give her access to things even before she's committed to me because, you know, we're forming a relationship here and I want her to experience it. But then I may I'm not in the room, like there's no human in the room. So I need it instrumented so I can see where she's getting stuck, what she's succeeding with. And, and that instrumentation is going to fire off signal that tells me when she needs additional help or when I need to make adjustments. Okay, cool. So that's on the product side, but empathy, generosity, and instrumentation could help me as a seller too. And I'm showing up in a conversation. The first thing I need to do is develop empathy for the person I'm talking to. I wanna figure out the situation. I wanna figure, I wanna understand the situation the way they see it, not the way I wanna tell them to see it. And I wanna uh, figure out the pain the way they see it, not the way I'm telling them they should be feeling pain. Like, it doesn't help at all to shove that down their throat. I wanna, I actually want to figure out what it feels like to be them trying to accomplish the things that they're trying to accomplish. Cool. So situation and pain. Then we can start having a conversation around impact and I can start being generous. Hey, let me scoot around to your side of the table. Show me what, show me how that looks for you. There's like a magic moment in a sales conversation where you're able to, you know, virtually scoot around to their side of the table and work on the problem from their perspective. It's no longer me talking across the table with you. It's us sitting together, shoulder to shoulder, trying to solve this problem together. And because I've developed uh, an empathetic understanding of their situation and pain, and they believe that I have their best interest in heart, when we start talking about potential impact, they're inclined to believe me. Now I just got to not mess that up when I go into clothes. I got to not bloat that deal. I got to not squeeze them on terms. I got to not make them think that I'm trying to discount my way into you know them buying more than they need. I just got to be a regular old human with empathy and generosity, helping them solve problems. Empathy, generosity, and instrumentation.
2: Mayhem. Dave can just get to the heart of things, can he? He mentions that these three things, once again, that's empathy, generosity, and instrumentation are the pillars for any sales team attempting product-led growth. What do these three things ultimately add up to though? Well, it's the holy grail and that's trust. Building trust with your customers is crucial now more than ever. In fact, Gartner analyzed over a thousand B2B customers to understand what drives continuing or expanding customer relationships with an existing supplier. In Gartner's findings, they reported, quote, customer perceptions of a rep are critical in a purchase decision, and customers are most motivated towards growth purchases when they see that their sales reps are, and this is it, a trusted advisor who boosts their confidence in their purchase decisions, end quote. Dave hit the nail on the head with empathy, generosity, and instrumentation, all leading to that final huge capstone endpoint, which is in fact trust. Let's dive back into it and hear more from Dave. So I'm tickled over here listening to how you are humanizing. The sales process and adding words like generosity and empathy. And I'm wondering, this is sort of a twofer, so stick with me, Dave. If we approach sales in this unconventional fashion where it's not high pressure, in fact, you want to depressurize things, there's no gun to anyone's head. Does that protract the time horizon? And if so, then that leads to my next question. Because if it does, in fact, elongate the sales cycle, At a certain point, the buck will stop with investors, it will stop with the board, and we operate in a capitalistic society where we have seen more and more the margin for error with publicly traded companies who even achieve earnings get raked over the coals on earnings calls. And I'm just wondering, how do you, if all of this is true, and you could just call BS and say, Danny, no, like you're wrong. But as I'm sort of putting two and two together, I'm thinking, I love the idea of not being beholden to a clock. And- If we miss our deadlines, someone has to answer for this new time horizon because they're footing the bill before we're profitable. So talk to me about that equation.
0: Oh, such a good question. So we're definitely beholden to a clock for sure, 100%. And you've got people watching us. we got to make sure the clock's measuring the right thing. And then we also need to make sure we're looking at the right clock. So when we're trying to close a deal, the clock is the customer's clock. It's not our clock. So we talk about situation, pain, impact at Winning by Design. Um, but then we talk about critical event and decision. And it spells spiced. It's easy to remember. Situation, pain, impact, critical event, decision. Many of us have been trained on something called compelling event. And often we manufacture a compelling event. Hey, and, it, and it's me-centric. My quarter is ending. My month is ending. My promotion is ending. So if you act now, blah, blah, blah. Right. It has nothing to do with the customer. What I need to figure out is what is her critical event? Like she actually has to meet a, a promise made to the street about blah, blah, blah. And we only have so much time to get there. And so once you and I understand that that's your critical event, I can start reverse engineering from there and say, okay, cool. So we got about two months to figure this out before we're going to miss that target. So that's cool. Let's work together and let's figure that out. So it's it's her clock when we're talking about a deal. When we're talking about the street, though, the street is that, you know, investors are unforgiving. Totally get it, Danny. Like, um, I'm on the board of a public company. You know, we report every quarter, but we report revenue. And revenue is more than just bookings. So if I oversold you right now, let's say you needed 100 licenses and I sold you 1,000, but I gave you a deal of a lifetime. What's the likelihood that a year from now, I'm going to renew 1,000 licenses? It's very low. And that actually hits my revenue. Because I used to have 1,000 licenses worth of ARR, and now I have 400 licenses worth of ARR. I lost 600 in the deal because I was too aggressive up front. So yes, it's about bookings, but it's about the entire customer experience for bookings, for onboarding, for first impact, for renewal, for expansion. And I've got to manage that responsibly, not in silos. So I got to think about revenue, holistic revenue with my recurring revenue customers. And recurring revenue is a function of recurring impact. And if I've set us up for recurring impact, I'm in great shape. If I've set us up to fall off a cliff at the first anniversary, I'm not in great shape. I was a year ago. Great. Take that to the bank. But I'm not today.
1: (laughs) That's what shocks me the most is that we're forcing our customers or our future customers to enter the journey of the product so late. That if we just allow them to enter while we discover with them, while we're qualifying fit with them, we would have a heck of a more realistic uh, pipeline and be able to forecast much more accurately, much more agilely. And yet still, I think we're stuck with PLG being the considered, I think, the enemy, if you will, of uh, sales led companies, but it doesn't have to be.
0: I think that's shifting. I really do think that's shifting. The more sales leaders get experience with PLG companies or the more they talk to their peers about what it's like to sell in a PLG or sometimes it's called a PLS, product-led sales environment, the more they say to me, I'll never go back because that product-qualified account or that product-qualified lead is just so much better, so much further along to your point. They've had experience. We moved that experience with the product up in their consideration journey. And now I get to show up not as pushing a product, but as helping them succeed with the product. And it's just, I hit my numbers easier. I feel better about my job and my customers, you know, have a better experience. I think it's going to shift and it's going to keep shifting. The shift
2: that you're talking about operationally and psychologically, I love your term concierge right? Whereas you could apply any stigmatized characterization to sellers that they're cutthroat, they're mercurial, they're hasty in everything that is they do. And now we have taken an entirely new spin. Like when I go to a hotel and I think concierge, they're just here to enhance my experience. And oh, that's so delightful and joyful. Where does hospitality in sort of your training or indoctrinating of these sellers into this new way of life, where's this idea of like welcoming someone or caring for them, coming to how you philosophize about guys and gals. We're going to do things totally different.
0: This digital sales leader I spoke with yesterday said the very first thing that he started working on with his reps is it's not sell, sell, sell. It's help, help, help. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That, in fact, and I expected him to tell me that he had switched the name of the role from, you know, he calls them digital sales reps, but there are other companies that call them like product specialists but their their job is to help you succeed with the product and by the way they also carry a number it's just a mindset shift i love that kind of connection to hospitality if i'm a concierge i actually know a lot i know the theaters i know the doorman i know the restaurants i know the hosts i know the clubs but first i gotta figure out what are you here for how long are you here what do you need what are you thinking and then i'm gonna just meet you where you are and i'm just gonna help you have the best time during however much time you have
1: Well, Dave, uh, Danny and I love your perspective. I was so excited to have you on this call and kind of dispel a lot of what I think uh, the notion of PLG has been for some time. And I truly believe that this is the future of software and and the way that we do business with it. Um, And I'm grateful for all of the insight that you share with us today. Before we let you go, we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests. So Dave, In one word, how would you describe sales?
0: I'm going to say outward. And the reason I'm saying outward is because I want to have an outward mindset. Not a me mindset, not a quota mindset, a you mindset, a how can, you know, how can I help you mindset? So outward.
1: Beautiful. I think that's my favorite response yet. Well done. (laughs)
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> thank you so much guys this has been amazing it's really thank fun. you
1: dave we appreciate you thanks so much for listening
2: to this episode of reveal if you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams head on over to Gong.io. and if you like what you heard give us that five-star review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you may listen